reading this evening will be read from Genesis chapter 48, verses 27 through 31. Genesis chapter 47, verses 27 through 31. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for seventeen years. So the length of Jacob's life was one hundred and forty-seven years. When the time grew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do this. I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed, his, bowed himself on the head of his bed. Thank you, Micah, for reading our scripture tonight. We are appreciative of your presence tonight. If you're visiting, we encourage you to come back and be with us. I know it is a holiday week coming up. Some of you may be traveling. We would pray that your travels will be safe and that you'll have an enjoyable week. And hopefully and prayerfully, you will be able to come back rested, refreshed, and ready to close out the year. We're going to be looking tonight at the book of Genesis, chapter 47, the passage that Micah read a moment ago. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 31 as we think about coming to the close of life's pilgrimage. I know that sometime in the future, whether distant or near, my pilgrimage here, uh, here upon planet Earth will come to a close. The Bible talks about the time that we have here on earth, and at best, it's very brief. In our study tonight, we want to look at the close of the life of a man by the name of Jacob, or Israel. And we have a picture of this old pilgrim as he literally wraps up his affairs here on earth. I think that there are some great lessons that are found in these verses. And so I want to begin tonight by talking about the blessings in Jacob's life. And I think primarily about the many favors that God bestowed on him throughout life. I begin by calling attention to his reversal of fortune. When you look at the life of Jacob or Israel, you'll see that his life was one of good times and bad times. I begin by calling attention to his grief before the Lord. Go back and look at chapter 37. And in chapter 37, we read of the children of Jacob. And Moses tells us that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other brothers. 
And that created a lot of animosity. The Bible talks about how they envied Joseph. They hated him. They could not speak peaceably to him. And you know the story. They sold him out into the hands of the Ishmaelites and Midianites. When word came back to the father of Joseph, and if you read chapter 37, you'll see that the brothers devised a plan to go back to their father, and basically the impression was made that this favorite son was killed by a wild beast. And so Jacob said, I will go down to my grave in mourning. No doubt a very difficult time in the life of this pilgrim. But then we talk about some of the great benefits, the generous benefits that Jacob enjoyed in this life. Let me begin by calling attention to verse 27. In verse 27, here's what the Bible says. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Now if you read the story of Joseph and the reuniting of Joseph with his brothers and his father, you'll know that a great famine swept the land and ultimately they were reunited. Providentially speaking, God used the affairs in the life of Joseph, I believe, to bring his people down to Egypt where they might settle in the land of Goshen. And there this band of some 70 people grew exceedingly. Now, in verse 27, the Bible says that they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Jacob lived some 17 years after reuniting with his son. 70 people went down to Goshen. Some would speculate that by the time of his death, they may have had somewhere around 200 family members. And then later, when they came out of Egypt, that is, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, about 2 million. So, God used the affairs in the life of Joseph to cultivate a setting wherein the people of God could grow and multiply and ultimately bring the Christ into the world. And Jacob was a link in the redemptive plan of Almighty God. But I want to ask this question. How often do we pause in life and reflect upon the many blessings that God bestows on us? Jacob, no doubt, had many blessings. And yet, sometimes we fail to see the blessings that God gives us on a daily basis. Let me just cite for you some of the blessings that I believe we enjoy regularly. Think for a minute about your family. How valuable is your family to you? The wise man said in the long ago that those who find a wife find a good thing. I remember one of my teachers in college said, on one occasion, if you have a good wife, you need to get down on your knees and thank God. He said that many years after I'd graduated from college. But I think the same is true for a wife who has a good husband. You ought to be grateful to God. And then what about children? 
The psalmist in Psalm 127 said in the long ago that children are an heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Children can be a great blessing to one's life. They are literally an extension of us as parents. Moses talked about in the long ago the creation of Mother Eve. When he brought Eve to Adam, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's what children are. And I would submit unto you that adopted children are viewed by parents in many respects as bone of their bones and flesh of their flesh. They love them. But then also, what about a friend? What about the many friendships that we cultivate here on earth? Again, Solomon said in Proverbs 18, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Ralph Waldo Emerson said on one occasion, a friend is one before whom I may think aloud. A lot of value in good friends. There was a great kinship that existed between David and Jonathan. And I think about in the New Testament, the friendship that was forged between Jesus and Peter, James, and John. And then what about the friendship between Timothy and the Apostle Paul? Those are just some examples. And then our wealth, our material possessions. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, charge them that are rich in this present world to be not high-minded, but to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Did you catch that term, all? Did you know that God is the dispenser of every good and perfect gift? That's what James said in James 1.17. The psalmist in Psalm 68 said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. So there are many things that you and I have to be thankful for on a regular basis. And then most of all, what about those vast spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ? In Ephesians 1.3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To know that we have, as children of God, forgiveness, pardon from every sin. That there is the presence of God in life. That we live knowing that God is at our side. That we can commune with him through prayer regularly. The Bible encourages us to pray to Jehovah God. Why? Because he hears our prayers. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Let me tell you what. When you face tough times, you will come to appreciate the value of prayer. But we ought to pray to God in times other than just adversity. We ought to pray to him and give thanks for all the things that he does for us. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. And so to just be thankful for all of the many blessings and favors that we have in this life. But I want you to think with me in the second place about the brevity of Jacob's life. When we look at our our lesson text tonight, what we see is that curtain falling. 
in the life of Jacob. Finality, as we say sometimes. His life is coming to a close here on planet Earth. I said a minute ago that I know at some point in time, my life here on Earth, my pilgrimage, the days of my sojourning are gonna come to a close. Now, I hope and pray that God will bless me with many more days and years to live. But we just don't know. Solomon in the long ago said, who knows what a day may bring forth. So you look at the life, if, when you look at the life of, of Jacob, you see the reality of death. Note if you would what is said in verse 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. I want you to go back and look at chapter 47, verse 9 for a minute. In this context, Jacob is standing before Pharaoh. Joseph, of course, is second in command. Pharaoh, the exalted ruler over the nation of Egypt. And here's what Jacob said. The days of the years of my pilgrimage or sojourning are 130 years. Now listen to what he says. Few and evil have been the years or days of the years of my life. Jacob here says, few have been the days of the years of my life. I think what Jacob was saying is this. Man, how fast life gets by. You ever thought about how quickly life passes? Jacob has lived 130 years. And he says that those years are few. The longer I live, the more I come to appreciate what David said in the long ago. In Psalm 37, 25, the king said, I have been young and now I am old. Now, Jacob lived to be 147. I want to ask this question. Would you take 147 years right now? Let me tell you what, I'd take it. If I could live to be 147 years of age and have good health, you better believe I'd take it. But even if I were to live to be 147 years of age, I promise you, at the end of my time here on earth, I'd look back and say, how few the days of the years of my existence have been here on planet earth. The psalmist said the days of our years may be three score and ten. And if by reason of strength we reach four score years, we may live to be 70 or 80. He said it is soon cut off and we fly away. That's why he said in verse 12, so teach us to number our days to apply our hearts to wisdom. Job said man born of woman is of, listen to him, few days 
and full of trouble. James compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And the bottom line is this. Life is over before you know it. It just seems like you're getting out of the gate and running and galloping and before you know it, it's over with. You're shutting down. Life is so brief. But look at verse nine again. There's another term I want you to see. Jacob said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. The word evil here, he's not talking about his transgressions or the mistakes he's made in life. Although when you look at his life, you'll see that he made, he made mistakes just like all of us. Why? Because he's a member of the human family. He wasn't perfect, nor are we for that matter. But I think what he's talking about here are the misfortunate, difficult, trying, hurtful circumstances that he faced in life. And there's a great lesson there for us. And the lesson is this. We are human beings. We are not promised a utopian environment here on planet Earth. We have good days. We have good times. We have bad days. And we have bad times. We have times in life when it seems like everything is smooth sailing and then there are times in life when it seems as if it's turbulent and one problem after another and before you know it, it just seems like we are compounded with multiple problems. Go back and look at the life of Jacob. Jacob's life was by no means an easy one. Now, some of the misfortune that, that he faced was not of his own doing. Some of the things that resulted in extreme circumstances and adverse difficulties in his life, granted, he brought those on himself. In chapter 37, the separation that took place between the child he loved and himself. Over 20 years, they were separated. Now, he shouldn't have loved Joseph more than his other sons. And if he did, he should not have shown it, but he did, and it cost him. But look at his life. You have that example. And then the shameful mistreatment by his future father-in-law and then father-in-law Laban. Look at what Laban did to him. And then we think about the famine that swept the land. Look, if you are a child of God, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be a cakewalk here on, on earth. Go back and look at some of the great servants of God in days gone by. It wasn't easy for them. It's not gonna be easy for us. We're gonna have good days and bad days, trying times, difficult circumstances. We're gonna face a barrage of problems from time to time. Listen again to what Job said. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. If you get out of this world unscathed, I promise you, you are an exception. Not many folks get out of this world unscathed. Now, are there are things that happen in life that I don't understand. 
Are there circumstances that, that occur in the lives of people that are beyond my feeble imagination? Absolutely. Does it seem like some people have more difficulties than others? Yes. Can I explain that? Not always. And Jacob here is saying, look, my time here on earth has been short, brief. I've had some tough times. And I think that is a commentary on life. Life can be tough. What we've got to do is persevere. The problems of this life, they can either break us or they can be a bridge to help build our faith. And ultimately the choice is ours. But then there is a second thing I want you to see. And that is the responsibility of preparing for death. Now, we're going to talk in a minute about the burial of Jacob at the close of life. But I want us to, to think for a minute about the responsibility that we have of preparing for death. Jacob was preparing for death. Sometimes we talk about making prior arrangements with the funeral home and the cemetery. Well, in a sense, that's, that's what you have here. Jacob is making arrangements for his body. You ever thought about this? There are a lot of folks in our world today, they make all of the arrangements for the disposal of their physical body. They go to the funeral home, they sit down, they decide the kind of casket they want, the type of service. They go to the cemetery, they find a plot of ground, and they make those purchases. I remember when my grandmother died. Her funeral was prearranged. It was a great thing. The only thing we had to do, pick out the flowers and then decide what to bury her in. That was it. It's a great thing. How many people prearrange their funeral service but never give any thought at all to what it means to step outside this veil of existence unsaved. You see, what we need to do is make preparation for that final journey. If you look at the handout, I have down, it's not when you die, it's are you going to die in the Lord. When I was thinking about that statement, another statement actually came to mind. And that is, it's not when you die, it's how you die. But I thought, well, people will misunderstand that. They will think about the various causes of death. And there are causes of death. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is you have two options. You can die in the Lord or you can die outside the Lord. My recommendation, you better die in the Lord. You don't want to die outside the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, here's what John said. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. 
Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. To know that we can die in Christ Jesus and that all will be well with our soul. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you see a man that made adequate preparation for that final journey. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. Paul's talking about there setting sail for eternity. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Do you think Paul was ready to die? Man, I think he was sitting on go. I think the apostle Paul was ready to die. He was ready to meet the Lord. Listen to him in Philippians chapter one. He said, for to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Down in verse 23, he said to depart and be with Christ is far better. Paul was ready for that final journey. I wonder how many of us have made adequate preparation for eternity. We talk about deathbed sermons, sermons that are intended to motivate people to obey the gospel. What if you died tonight? What if you were to step out into eternity tonight? Here's a better question. What if you died last night? What if your body just right down the road at Brantley's. Right now, they've already made adequate preparation for your viewing. We know where your body is, but here's what I want to know. Where would your soul be? That's what's really important. Doesn't matter about the body. I'm not really worried about the body. What I am worried about is the soul. Jesus asked, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If you had died last night, where would you be right now? Probing question. The responsibility of preparing for death. This afternoon, I had the opportunity to talk to Brother Ken Joins. And he is in a very difficult situation. His wife is under hospice care. And he said that today at the table, they prayed that when the Lord is ready to take her, that she will go peacefully. I said to him, as a Christian, we have hope. I can't imagine losing a loved one outside of Christ. I did not know Connor Mobley. I know that he was a good, a good young man. He was a Christian. When he was in high school, Nancy had the opportunity to help coach him in tennis. 
he was an only child. His parents lost him this week. Imagine that. Losing your only child. What comfort could you derive in a situation like that? Let me tell you, the only comfort that I would have in a situation like that is knowing my child died in the Lord. The only comfort that I could take out of a situation like that is knowing that one day, one day, I'll see him again. Remember when David lost his baby? David said, in effect, he can't come to me but I can go to him. The longer you live and the more people you lose, the sweeter heaven becomes because ultimately you want to go to be with your loved ones. I look forward. I look forward to being with people that I've known and loved. I've seen a lot of deaths I've been around a lot of deaths. It's part of this job. It's never easy to conduct a memorial service for someone outside of Christ. But it's always easier when somebody has died in Christ. I was telling Jared this past week we were out visiting and I was telling him about a girl that had obeyed the gospel. And she brought her father in to my office one morning and wanted me to talk to him about Christianity. I never will forget, he, he made the remark, he said, after the first of the year, I'll be ready to talk about becoming a Christian. It was in December and she said, she said, Daddy, if you will obey the gospel, if you'll become a Christian today, she said, that's the best Christmas present you could ever give me. He was baptized that day before the new year, before the new year bell ever rang, he was in eternity. He had an automobile accident and died. You just never know that's why it's imperative to make preparation for death. The responsibility of preparing for death. I want you to see a third thing in our study. The burial of Jacob at the close of life. Look at verse 29. First, the place of his burial. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And here's what Joseph said. I will do as you have said. Then Jacob said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Why do you think Jacob 
made that request. I think that Jacob understood the promise of God as revealed to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. When God talked about the children of Israel suffering oppression in the land of Egypt, the promise was made that they would come out of that land after about 400 years. And so through the eye of faith, Jacob wanted to be buried with his family members at Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah. You see, his grandfather, Abraham, had lived to be 175 years of age. His own father had lived to be 180, and now he's coming to the close of life at 147 years. And he wants to be buried with his family. Not in Egypt. Why? Because God was going to deliver his people out of Egyptian bondage. Now we talk about the place of his burial, but I want to close by talking about the promise to all who are buried. If the Lord Jesus Christ delays his coming, one day we will die. At death, our loved ones will have to dispose of this physical tent, this body. Now it may be that your loved ones decide to cremate you and dispose of your ashes. It may be the case that you already have your cemetery plot. You know exactly where you're gonna be buried. Maybe your loved ones are already in a family plot and you're gonna be laid next to them. But I want to close by saying this. That's not the end of the story. We talk about the transitory nature of life. We are only here on planet Earth for a very brief tenure of time. Let me say this. That plot of ground that you plan to be buried in, it's as temporary in nature as your physical body. What do I mean by that? What I mean is one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to open the cemetery doors and every grave will be opened. You see, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he said, I was dead and am alive. He said, behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the, the keys to Hades and death. I don't know how many graves I've stood beside through the years. Too many. I've stood at the side of young people and older folks whose bodies have been deposited into the heart of the earth. What is it that gives me comfort? Jesus said, 
in the long ago. All that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And what? They shall come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. One day Jesus Christ is going to unlock the doors to the cemeteries all across this globe. And everybody will come forth. I can't even begin to fathom that. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, he said, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Can you imagine that? This corruptible body becoming incorruptible. This mortal body becoming immortal. As Paul said, it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. When we stand at the side of an open grave, go back and look at the Old Testament. Go back and look at some of the great patriarchs of the past, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They have been dead and gone for nearly 4,000 years. Yet one day, those great patriarchs, they will come forth from the grave. And we too will come forth if the Lord delays his coming. One day our pilgrimage here on earth, it's coming to a close. We may not like it, but that's a fact. You see, death is certain. As David said, I was young and now I'm old. Young folks die. Old folks die. We were not, well, the bottom line is this. What's important is not so much what's here on earth. It's what we do with the time we have here on earth, the preparations that we make, the provisions that are before us. Heaven awaits us. When your pilgrimage comes to a close, will the words of John 14 be applicable to you? When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. Is that home waiting on you? One day, the Lord willing, we'll all be there together forevermore. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you can't afford to leave this earth 
Why is that? To put it as simply and bluntly as I know how, you're lost. And if you die, you have no hope. That's why Jesus came, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus died so that we might live forevermore in his presence. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent and be baptized so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 2.38. When you do that, you'll enjoy fellowship with God and you will have the promise of life eternal, Titus 1, verse 2. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, I would encourage you tonight, make it right. Don't leave here outside of Christ. If your life's not what it ought to be, could we pray with you and for you? Here's what John said. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come as we stand and sing.